would now give your attention to the Scriptures. We have a very short text. This morning we're in Exodus 20. And um, if you're visiting and slipped in late, I want to give again a special welcome to you. Very glad that you're here. And uh, if this is your first time, thank you for walking into a place you've never walked in before and worshiping with us. And if you are visiting, just to let you know what we're doing, we are in a sermon series this fall on a very famous passage, one of the most famous passages in the Bible. It's a passage uh, actually shared by Jews and Christians. It's the Ten Commandments. And we are uh, going to be in the Fifth Commandment. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and that short passage is in the uh, order of worship if you want to follow it there. Uh, and let me say this. We, in this series, the Third Commandment was last week. And we're jumping ahead to five. Now, I'm not omitting a commandment just to let you know. That's the kind of thing that, that gets you in trouble as a preacher. So uh, just full disclosure, I'm not uh, deleting a command or anything. The reason I held off on the fourth commandment for this morning is that that commandment, this commandment about uh, the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, I would say is the commandment of the ten that I get the most questions about. It's the one that, that I feel like, I'm still thinking through the most. And I, I don't mean that to say, all the other nine, totally got them figured out, totally mastered them. It's just to say, it, it generates exponentially more questions than, than this one. So a lot of people are out on fall break. This is a great turnout, but a lot of folks are out this Sunday. So I made a little pastoral executive decision to flip-flop, hold off on the fourth till next week, and, um, and look at the fifth one this morning. So Exodus 20, verse 12. Um, you know, when I did my dad's eulogy here about a month and a half ago, something that I talked about was my dad instilled in me a very strong sense of place, being from Mississippi. He just kind of quietly took me to different places and instilled a love for that. It really actually convicted me after the fact that I don't know if I'm doing that for my own children. I mean, I do that in Greenville, love to look around and explore and take them to places and let them know their city. But I thought, I, I want they're growing up as South Carolinians, and I want them to have more of a sense of that. So uh, my wife figured out a great trip, quick uh, fall break trip for us to Charleston. So this past Thursday, we went for a one-night trip to Charleston and uh, had a blast. And what an amazing city. If you grew up here, you may be accustomed to it, but as an outsider, it's just an amazing place. Our first stop when we got there was uh, that Patriot Patriots Point, I think, or Patriots Park. It's this group of um, kind of military stuff and historic stuff. And we toured the USS Yorktown that is just parked there on the water. And something that I didn't know would be inside, I knew there'd be a lot of cool military stuff and you could walk through the, the ship. But there's a museum inside the ship. Didn't know this was there. It's a museum for or unto recipients of the Congressional Medal of Honor. You, you may have been there. Not large, a small museum in the ship, one level. And when you walk into this museum, it's, a, it's really a sacred place because this is all about people who made great sacrifice, many, many of them losing their life and, and receiving the medal um, after their death post posthumously. Did I say that correctly? Po po I'm, I'm just going to pull back and say, you know what I mean on that. And... Um, but when you walk in, there, there are several video screens, and there's sort of a montage going, and it's talking about liberty, freedom. And it, it, the tagline is that freedom is not free. Freedom is not free. 
So then you, you walk past that, and then you really get into the real exhibit. Now, they, they don't have an exhibit for every single person who has received. They have almost all the names listed except the most recent recipients. But, but you get just a few select recipients, their name and their picture, and then the, the description of why they received this. And after a few of these, Dana looked over at me and said, I, I really am about to start crying because the stories are unbelievable. You know, you're looking at this just handsome, chiseled-faced young Marine, and he literally, not metaphorically, he literally threw himself on the grenade to save his friends. So he receives it after death. Uh, you learn about the guy in World War II that sees his buddy who's been shot, and he's, he's um, bleeding to death, and under intense enemy fire, he goes out to him. Uh, he himself has already had an eye shot out, and with one hand is holding up the plasma to deliver blood, and with the other hand is returning fire. Unbelievable. Okay, now, when you see that, think about this. To, to see a video montage about freedom is not free, Freedom's great, but freedom is not free. That can really be an abstraction. And then you start walking in there and you look at these photos and you read these stories and you think about the great sacrifice and it becomes very concrete. You know, freedom is not free. How real is that? It is as real as the grenade that just landed in our trench and somebody better do something quick. And he does. It is that tangible and concrete. This commandment that we're about to look at, number five, it really occupies an interesting place in the ten because it's been recognized for really millennia that there are two sections to the ten commandments. It's been called two tables. Some people would say it's the first four and the last six. Some people would say it's five and five. But the two tables are love of God and love of neighbor, love of mankind. You know, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? He answered in those terms. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that mirrors the Ten Commandments. And whether you divide it as five and five or four and six, the transition commandment is this one. Now, here's what's interesting about that. When we talk about love of God, and love of people, we can feel like we possess those things. But those can very much be abstractions, right? Love of God, love of people. But it is this fifth commandment that sort of on both ends makes it very concrete. And, and I don't mean this to be funny, but literally it is as concrete as your next Thanksgiving get-together. It is as concrete as your next difficult phone conversation with a parent. All right, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know us, and just even as we've been reminded this morning, you, you know that we're frail, you remember that we are dust. And so here we are, 
beings made in your image, but very weak, made of dust. And because we're frail, right now we're preoccupied. Or right now there are just barriers in our heart to hearing these words. In whatever condition we come, uh, just as we sung, speak for we're listening. And if we cannot listen right now, would you in your love give us the ability to listen? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. I want to look at three things this morning. First off, uh, what's commanded? What's the requirement? Second thing, why is it so difficult? And then third, what does Jesus give us? Okay. What is commanded? Uh, Why is it so difficult? What does Jesus give us? All right, first thing, what, what is really being commanded in the fifth commandment? And I feel like I've got to start off the answer by answering negatively what it's not saying. When God says, honor your father and your mother, he is not saying you must blindly obey your parents. You know, just blanket obedience for anything that a father or mother says. Now, why is that? Because all authority is God-given. And another way to say that would be all authority on earth is derivative. And that means that if you take any rightly, you know, given authority, authority entrusted to you by God, and you use that authority to turn people against God's exercise of authority, you've invalidated your use of it. You know, like a police officer has the authority. None of us can do this. But a police officer can pull you over on the street or on the interstate and go to your car and make demands of you. But if if a police officer did that and stole your stuff, he invalidated his authority, right? Any father, any mother receives God-given authority to do right, uh, to lead in, in the light of what God likes and doesn't like. You know, obvious example would be if a parent said, I don't want you reading the Bible. Invalid, right? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't want you, uh, I don't want you, I want you to steal something. I mean, that sounds crazy, but those, those things have happened before. Totally invalid. It doesn't mean that. But the other thing it doesn't mean is this, and I know this is tortured grammar, double negative. It doesn't mean nothing. Now, this is probably the one that we more need to hear that the fifth commandment doesn't mean nothing. And, and a, way, a, a way of teasing that out would be to say, when God says, honor your father and mother, He's not saying, don't dishonor your father and mother, and that's where it stops. In other words, the command isn't just fulfilled by not cussing at your mom or dad on the phone. You know, not having an explosion over the dinner table. Not making jokes at their expense. It's not just the absence of that, but it's something positive. All right, so what positively is being commanded? And I want to say this to you. Uh, One of the wonderful things about the Scriptures, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a preacher and I'm supposed to say this. I, I really mean this, is that it is forever surprising. I mean, this is a very familiar passage, and I'll have to say that As I studied this week, super familiar words, I was taken aback by what is being said here. 
you know, that, that the law of God is a mirror that comes to us and says, you're prone to think better of yourself than you ought. And the law comes and says, look in this mirror and see what you're really like. Now, this fifth commandment gets in on that. What's the command? That first verb, honor, is, is not just the absence of dishonor. It, in Hebrew, it is a very strong, very active verb. It's not just don't do the wrong thing, but it's something for you to do. Now, think about this. In the Hebrew Scriptures, there's a word kabod and other variants of that that we translate glory. And we've talked about this before, that, that in the Hebrew Scriptures, the glory of God is His weightiness, His heaviness. You know, God can manifest Himself as fire or as a cloud. And a cloud has very little weight. A fire has, I guess, hardly any weight. But when He manifests Himself, He seems more substantive and heavier than everything around. The weight of His glory... All right, that word in its verbal form, not, in other words, not the noun glory, but in its verbal form, give glory to, that's the word that we translate honor. Now, let's be careful. It's not saying we, we ever worship anybody. We don't worship parents. You might be thinking, okay, got that one covered. I don't worship my parents, but hang, in, hang with me. It means not to treat them lightly. Not to regard them as light, as lacking substance, but to regard our parents as being substantive, as being weighty, regarding them as if they truly matter. Now, when you hear that, um, we, we, we want an escape hatch. And what, what, you know, I said that I've, I've been surprised in my study. When you look in the rest of the law of Moses, there keep being echoes and teasing out of these Ten Commandments. You know, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like these are little computer chips and, and they sort of get um, you know, delineated by all these subsequent commands and explanations. One echo of the fifth commandment is in Leviticus. And, that, and Leviticus is stuff that was given at Mount Sinai. Leviticus 19, verse 3. Never knew this till this week. It says in the English translations, revere your mother and your father. Now, first off, that's amazing that in a, words that are well over 3,000 years old, in a patriarchal world that God commanded in this, in, in this wording... You revere your mom and your dad. And the language is different in the fifth commandment. But it is said, revere your mom and your dad. But what took me back was, in the Hebrew, what it says is, fear. Fear your mother. Fear your father. And when you look at those kind of active verbs, honor, give glory to, don't treat as lightly, Fear. I mean, those are verbs that are applied to God. And he says those about our parents. Now, our temptation at this point is to make this command say, honor fathers. 
Honor motherhood. Honor parenting. And it hits me just the simple elegance of what God did. He doesn't say, exalt and hold up parenting, although the scriptures do that. But what he says is, honor your dad and your mom. Okay, so then we get to the second point. Why is this so difficult? Why is this so difficult? And we'd have to say, it's kind of twofold. It's things inside of us and it's things outside of us. Okay, first off, inside of us. Why is, why is this so difficult? In Genesis chapter 3, everything falls apart. Okay, we call that the fall, the fall of man. It's when Adam and Eve break the law of God. And not only do they change, everything, the whole creation begins to just groan that it's not the way it's supposed to be. And one way that manifests itself is this, that ever since then, the only vertical relationships that we like is when we're on the top. We don't like vertical relationships where there's anybody over us. And it doesn't matter if it's a parent or the teacher or the police officer or city council or a boss or whatever. We don't like people over us. There was a book that came out in the 1980s, a little bit dated, but, but largely these observations really ring true. It was called Habits of the Hearts by a guy named Robert Bella. And he said, just looking at the end of the 20th century, he said, if, if you want a description of what is sacred to Western people at the end of the 20th century, is that people want to be an unencumbered self. An unencumbered self. I want what I want, and I don't want people to obstruct it. I don't want to go wacko. I don't want to be an anarchist. I'm just kind of trying to live my life. But do not talk down to me. There's this real resistance to any kind of submission. Now, that's automatically problematic because we learn in the New Testament, everybody in the Christian life has to grapple with, at some level, submission. Whether you're single or married, whether you're male or female, part of the Christian life is there is mutual submission in life, and in the body of Christ. It, this stretches everybody. But that's all, just, we show up with that. But then there are, there are externals. And, I, and I, let me say this. As I'm referring to mother and father, I, please, please hear me. That I know in this room that not everyone grew up with that. And there are as many different stories as there are individuals in this room. And for some of you, uh, there weren't two parents. There was one. Or there were two, and there was great strife, and everything in between. So, just as I'm speaking about mother and father, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to do this insensitively. If you only grew up with one, or you had great, um, great setbacks in your family, but I'm saying this just in light of the language of the commandment. Now, think about this. We probably don't feel it now that we're older. But the reality is, our mom and dad were our first heroes. They were these titans in our lives. 
And quite literally, we were, we were bare before them. And it was safe to be so. I mean, that's, that's almost unheard of in a fallen world. But you have that, ideally, with parents at the beginning and ideally with a spouse. But whether you're married or single, what we share is that we were bare before them. And again, I, I know it sounds like I'm stating the obvious, but we forget that this is who we are. There was a time where it wasn't hard to cry. And I'm thinking more here of males. That if something was sad, you cried to them. You didn't just cry, you cried to them. If something was funny, you laughed to them. If you accomplished something, your eyes scanned to find them for them to see it. But they were titans. They were heroes. I remember uh, when I was in first grade, and uh, this is in first Presbyterian day school in the boys' bathroom. And, you know, my homiletics professor said there are two rooms where sermon illustrations should never take place, the bedroom and the bathroom. Okay, Dr. Chapel, I'm violating that this morning. So first pres day school, boys' bathroom, we're in there, and we got into this big squabble about whose dad had the birthday first in the year. And I don't even know how we got into this and why it was in the bathroom, but we got into this squabble about it. And I remember, literally, I remember saying, what is the first day of the year? And we figured out that it was January 1st. And I said, well, that's when my dad's birthday is. <laughs> just, just a complete fabrication, just a lie. And I think if the squabble had been about moms, I would have taken the same, you know, deceitful stance. It's just that, no, no, mine is ahead of everybody because that's, that's just how it goes. Um, now, because of that, here, here's, here's the underbelly. To whomever we most bear our hearts, they can most hurt us. And so, whatever happens to you later in life, as far as romantically or anything like that, all of us bared our hearts. And no imperfect parent can help but disappoint. And because we bared our hearts so much... But here's what goes on, is we can feel a level of disappointment, even with the most wonderful dad or the most wonderful mom, much less if there's really been damage or really been abuse. We can feel a level of disappointment that feels like betrayal. And actually, we can experience quite real betrayal, quite real abuse, to the point where it just seems like we cannot shake it. That it's almost a defining part of who I am, of how they did not get the job done. And look at what all I've had to overcome. That, that can become like a core component of how I understand myself. And think about this. If you are a parent... If you have a child or you have children, and, and especially if, if they're very young and you're slogging through just a very labor-intensive time and there's diapers and there's uh, interrupted sleep and there's great sacrifice and you can't do a lot of the fun things that you used to do, I, I know this about you. I know this about you without you even saying it, is that in your mind you are envisioning a day 
where this child that you're caring for or these children, they grow up and they look at you adoringly one day. And maybe if it's just for 10 seconds that he or she says to you, Mom, Dad, uh, you gave me everything and you made great sacrifices and I just want to thank you. Uh, I'll always be in your debt. We, We envision that one day that sentence is going to come. And you know what's convicting? Is that if if you are that parent waiting for that sentence, it's very possible that you are waiting on a sentence that we have not yet extended to to our parents. That we as imperfect parents are awaiting expressions of thanks and honor that we have not yet extended to our imperfect parents. Now, that tells us something about ourselves. So what does Jesus give us? First off, he gives a perfect example. He perfectly keeps the fifth commandment. Now, ultimately, he had always done that with his heavenly father. God the Son always has, and he always will, perfectly honor God the Father, His Heavenly Father. But that may not be encouraging to us because we think, yeah, well, God the Father is a perfect Father. My parents are not perfect. But here's what's amazing. He even set us a perfect example with His imperfect parents. You know, uh, Luke chapter 2, that's a chapter that we get out a lot in Advent because it's some of the only snapshots we have of His childhood. Jesus' childhood. And when he got a little bit older, about 12 years old, there's this incident where his family goes to Jerusalem. And they're at the temple, and then they leave, and they're heading home. It's kind of a big family, you know, procession. So they're making their way back to Nazareth, and his parents, Joseph and Mary, they thought that Jesus was with some of their relatives. And he wasn't. He's in the temple talking to these religious leaders about the Torah, and blowing their minds. Well, I mean, if you're a parent, or if you, at least, even if you have done a lot of babysitting, the panic of realizing, I haven't seen my child for three days. Okay, 30 minutes feels like a year. Three day, Mary must have been a basket case. They go in the temple, they find him, they say, how can you do this? I mean, this is hilarious. Joseph and Mary getting on to, you know, the creator in the flesh. How could you do this to us? We have been looking everywhere for you. And he says, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? It's an amazing exchange. He doesn't apologize, but he's not disrespectful. But if you only had that part of the account, you could just sort of hear that as Jesus saying, look, mom, uh, if, you know, if I want there to be a knot in your stomach, then there's going to be a knot in your stomach. I'm the Messiah kind of lights a Marlboro and, you know, <laughs> can't get lung cancer because he's the Messiah and just, you know, wielding power. And, but the, the next thing it says is that, that he went down from there. And Jerusalem is elevated. So he, they, they go down from there and they came to Nazareth. This is Luke 2.51. They went down from there and they came to Nazareth and he was submissive to them. You've got this 12-year-old boy and, you know, in in Joseph's home, 
when an imperfect mom and dad would try to explain to Jesus and his siblings things about God and things about the law and the prophets, and they got it wrong. Because you know they did. They would have to get some parts wrong. And here is God in the flesh, and He never made them feel stupid. He did not talk down to them. This God who is a consuming fire who became flesh, when they told Him to do something, He said the Judean equivalent of, Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Now, here's the thing. If that's all we have, if I stop there, we would feel like crud. I mean, truly, we would leave here and go, Well, all right. Uh, I've done horrible on that one. And we have. But, okay, he's our perfect example, but that's not all he is. And this, here's the good news. It's good news that he's our perfect example. To follow him is to submit to imperfect parents. But he is our fullness. I, I want to read you just a quick passage. Um, some of you may have heard John Piper Um, pastor, prolific writer. And it wasn't about this text, but I once heard him say in a sermon (laughs) that he made a point. He said, if this doesn't boggle your mind, you're not boggleable. Now, I would say that about what I'm about to read. This is, you don't have to turn there. This is Colossians 2, verse 9. And it's describing Jesus Christ. And it says this, for in him, in Jesus Christ, The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you, speaking to Christians, you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Please let this wash over you. Because I can't understand it. And I had a great seminary experience, but none of my professors could... No one can explain this. That the God who is infinite and eternal and unchangeable, all His fullness, not one-third of it, all His fullness dwells at one time in bodily form in the man Christ Jesus. That as He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, right now, physically, in heaven, fully God and fully man, He's not fully one-third God. All the fullness of deity dwells in Him. And then Paul says this, if you're in Him, if you're a believer and you've been united to Him, you don't just believe in Him, but you're in Him, you have that fullness. Now, it is the rest of our lives to tease that out. But here's what it means for thinking about the fifth commandment, at least in part. If you're hearing, if you're hearing this talk about Honoring, fearing, submitting to a mom and a dad. You're thinking about your real mom and your real dad. And you're thinking, fat chance. Fat chance. Because when I needed them to be there, or when I needed him or her to be there, they weren't. Here's what you understand that you have right now, is that Jesus Christ says, I am with you. I am with you always. 
even to the end of the age. You get, you get to the end of your life and you are in a foxhole, you are in a trench and the grenade falls in, you can jump on it. You know what? Because I'm there before that moment and I'm there after that moment. If you live to be 90, I am there the moment before you die and the moment after. I'm with you always. Uh, my mom or dad did, did not provide for me. My parents, they did not give. They did not provide. Things were always hard because they didn't think ahead. The shepherd always feeds his sheep, will withhold no good thing. I came that they might have life, a pretty good bit of it. No. I came that they might have life and might have it to the full. Might have it abundantly. Uh, they did not encourage me. I mean, those were the heroes. I wanted their validation. I wanted his or her validation more than anybody's validation. And it was a big blank slate. Or it was discouragement. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what Jesus says to his people. And you know what's amazing? You know, we're coming up on Christmas and something that we're going to sing, and you could hear this on autopilot, and I really want you to hear it, is we're going to sing from Handel's Messiah this quote from Isaiah 9. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And it gets to that part about, you know, and his name, and his name shall be called what? Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. And then what's the next thing the Messiah is going to be called? The everlasting Father. And this is a mystery. That Jesus Christ is simultaneously Son of the Heavenly Father, but in some way, Father to His own people. That simultaneously, He is Christian's elder brother. He's the one and only Son of the Father. And you've got all these adopted sons and daughters like us. And He is our elder brother. He is that. But He is, at some level, our everlasting Father. So much so that when He was with His disciples, sometimes He would call them His disciples. Sometimes He would call them His friends. But sometimes He would address them as what? My children. My little children. Peter, fisherman guy, tough hands, tan, had to be that way. And we'd call him a child. My child. And here's what this frees us to understand. Is that if God has been so merciful as to open our eyes to see that we are sinners and nothing can fix that except Him, Jesus Christ, and that in Him we don't just get this free pass to heaven, we have everything, the fullness of of the one who is the fullness of God in bodily form. When you start to understand that, do you know what it frees us up to do? Is that if you are terribly disappointed with your mom, you can submit and honor the real parent you have standing behind her. Christ Jesus. That if you have been profoundly disappointed with your father, and it's hard to honor him, it's hard to honor Him. It's hard to submit to Him in an appropriate way. You can, you can honor 
the everlasting Father who is standing right behind him. And I know this gets into a million difficult decisions. You've got some good community group discussions ahead this week, I hope. But here's the deal. We will find out what... Go back to the the Museum of the Medal of Honor. We will find out what we really believe about what we have in Christ by what we do with this. Because if these things are true, some of us have letters to write. Some of us have apologies to offer. Some of us have thanks that needs to be verbalized maybe for the first time. Some of us have expectations that get nuked every Thanksgiving and Christmas that we need to have the maturity to say, I need to change those expectations from this imaginary parent in my mind that mom and dad never live up to, to my mom and my dad. To expect them to be who they are and to love them as they are. If, and here's the thing, if we are full in Christ, just as we can hurt them, it may be that they can hurt us, but they cannot harm us. And that is an important distinction. In our families, we will experience hurt, but if you have the fullness of Christ, you will not be harmed. Last thing I'd say is this. You know, the command says, honor your father and your mother and you'll live long in the land. What does that have to do with us? You know, we're not talking in terms of getting a holy land back. Think about this. If you're sitting here thinking about your real mom and your real dad and what it means to honor them, you may think, you know what, before this guy's through with this, I'm going to be a doormat. If I take this command seriously, I'm going to end up being a doormat. What this will do is push us toward meekness. A meek person is the person who is full enough, satisfied enough, comforted enough that they can yield. And meekness is not weakness. And you know what Jesus said? If you're meek, guess what happens? Not somewhere in the Middle East... Do you, do you have an inheritance? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? The earth. Let's pray together. Lord God, our Father, we pray that to us you would be a Father who is so near, so wonderful, simultaneously strong and comforting. We pray that that would so fill our heart that it would displace all our disappointments, all our frustrations with parents. Forgive us, Father, for how we haven't honored them. Forgive us for not saying the things that we want children to say to us and about us. Grant us repentance that comes from seeing Jesus Christ as He truly is. We ask this in His name. Amen.